I've had a lot of people threaten to kill me. Really? Yes. Death threats? Death threats. They don't want me on there. They, I figure that they're scared of the fact that I'm telling the truth and I'm threatening their agenda. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Welcome back to the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm Dylan Honkoop, and this week I talk with Probably one of the quietest, most reserved people I've ever met, but with an incredible story to share and such a huge voice via advocacy on social media. She opens up to me about why she does that, about her passion for her job, helping produce food by raising calves. She loves dairy calves. That's what she does professionally, and it's her life passion to care for those animals as well as speak out about it. And yes, she does talk about death threats that she's received via her advocacy. She's known as Farmer Girl on Facebook and Instagram. Her real name, Erica DeWard, and she shares all of this plus a lot more about the background and what it really takes to raise calves on a dairy farm in this conversation So join me as I continue this journey to hear from real farmers about what turns their crank, why they do what they do, and why they're so passionate. We produce amazing food in this state, and Erica has such an incredible perspective to share. When did you decide to start speaking out? about farming. I just had, there was was one guy, Andrew Campbell, who started this hashtag farm 365 to try show people about farming. And I was watching it and he was just getting attacked. So I decided to join him. He needed help. A lot of farmers came and helped him. So you're saying here's here's somebody getting attacked and you went in there and fought. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I, I didn't expect that to be the starting point. No, it was. I couldn't stand seeing one guy get attacked, so yeah. people had to help. So how did you start? You you're, you were, what were you doing at that time? You were feeding calves? Yep, I've raised calves since I was 11, so I've been doing that for mm-hmm. 16 years. And how old were you or how long ago was it that you started, you, you decided, I'm, I'm going to start speaking out on, on farming stuff? About four years ago. Four years ago. So you decide to start speaking out. Where do you start with something like that? I made my own Instagram account and just started using his hashtag and it grew like crazy. People like to know the truth from a farmer, which I hadn't really thought people would even care. When did you come up? How, how did you come up with the name? Well, Was that like from the beginning? Farmer girl, because I'm a yeah. girl and a farmer. <laughs> a little bit obvious. Okay. Yeah, the, dumb question. On yep. my part. Then the, my Instagram name is ericad429. That's my first name, and then my last initial. And 429 was one of my favorite cows at our farm, so I used her ID number <laughs> as my name. <laughs> Why was she your favorite cow? Tell me about she was 429. born on my birthday, and I watched her be born. <laughs> so she kind of became mine. <laughs> so she was your cow. She was my cow. And, and we'll describe her. What, what kind of a, you know, for a non-farming person... What 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 are they supposed to be visualizing here when they think about your cow, number 429? She was very, very friendly, and she trusted me. I could take her on walks without a halter. She'd just follow me like a little dog. So <laughs> we'd walk down to the pond all the time and behind our farm, and she was just my pet. And so that became part of the name, 429, 
and an homage to that cow. Yes. Who is she still around or? When our dairy sold, she ended up in Eastern Washington. Mm, okay. So I have no idea. So you start to speak out. What was it like at, at first? What were again? Where do you start? Like what? What are? What's the first thing you posted? Do you recall or per, first kinds of things that you were talking about? Well, I really like the medicine side of things, so I was posting a lot about how to raise a calf and keep them healthy. Mostly it was helping other farmers do a better job of what they do. But then other people, they look at what I post and they realize how much there is involved in farming. Calf raising is, people think it's simple. It There's so much science in it. There's so much math. And people just have no idea how much knowledge it takes to actually raise a calf. I guess what's interesting to me thinking about you speaking out is because that doesn't ne- necessarily come to you naturally because you're a quiet person. Right. Or shy or whatever the, you know, the I don't know what term you would prefer to use for that. Some people find, you know, like they say shy is offensive or something. Well, I'm definitely shy. So I'll just go with that. <laughs> and but so it's kind of out outside your comfort zone. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm kind of hidden behind this media screen. Just like people don't actually yeah. have to see me. I can think about what I'm going to say. And I also love the photography part of Instagram, you have to post a picture with what you post. Yeah. So I love actually trying to get those pictures and trying to tell a story just with those. So you've been doing photography for a long time. Yes. So why do you love photography? I like capturing the story in the picture. It's not just pointing my phone at a calf and trying to get a picture of it. You have to know how to take it. A lot of the times, I'm a lot of my pictures, I'm sitting on the ground or laying on the ground looking like an idiot trying to get the perfect picture. So much of it is the angle of the picture that you're taking. If I took it from higher up, this calf would look, you'd see the top of its head. If I mm-hmm. take it from its level, it looks so much better. So let's go back. You grew up on a farm. Talk, I talk about that. grew up about a mile from our family farm. So it was my grandparents. They actually lived on the farm. Mm-hmm. My aunts and uncles, they lived, all of us were within about a mile of our farm. It was my grandpa's rule that we had to be able to walk there in a snowstorm. <laughs> so that's why all of us just live in the exact same little area. So what what kind of farm? Talk about what, what the whole scene was like when you were a kid. I actually, most of my time on the farm was actually just riding in the silage truck with my dad. But then mm-hmm. driving through our farm, I always you know stared at the window watching these calves be born. And when I was 11, I asked my dad if I could actually start helping at the farm, raising those calves because I fell in love with them just by seeing them while we were driving past them all the time. So a dairy farm... How big? What was kind of the? It was you said it was your grandpa's farm. It was my grandpa's farm. It was my dad and three brothers that actually owned it at the end. Mm-hmm. So actually, none of my cousins were really involved. My sisters never got involved, but I was actually liked doing it. And part of that was because I was not forced to actually help at the farm. Mm-hmm. It was my choice. And so there you were from a very young age doing. Anything you could on the farm? Anything they'd let you? What kind of stuff were you doing other than riding in the silo truck once you could start to help? Uh, feeding the calves, bottles. Those calves, well, I was 11, so those calves were, you know, ginormous. They could easily knock me over. I was actually kind of terrified for a while trying to figure out how to, you know, not have these calves beat me up because they weighed 100 pounds, I weighed 80. <laughs> <laughs> so. When you were a kid on the farm, did you ever expect that? that farm wouldn't be there? 
Not really. They actually didn't tell me our farm was quitting until about a month before. So I didn't even have a clue. Yeah, because I noticed you mentioned that until the end, or you talked about at the end, it was your dad and, and his brothers. So what what happened? What was that like? The end. The end. Actually, I think they ran it for 10, 15, 20 years before it quit. Mm-hmm. But two of the brothers wanted to retire. Mm-hmm. The bank wouldn't let my dad and another brother take it over. Mm-hmm. He didn't have the money. Right. And so... How does that go down? How do you bring something like that to a close? It's hard. Yeah. We had actually our one of the guys that helped us was the nutritionist for our dairy. So he helped mediate this whole issue between four brothers. Yeah. Some of them wanted to quit, some of them not. He just sat in the middle and yeah. tried to keep a war from breaking out between them. And he found the farm that wanted to buy our cows. Hmm. He was there when the trailers picked up our cows. So he actually helped us a lot just dealing with losing our farm. Yeah. I bet the emotions had to have been huge that day in particular. Yeah, it was I actually saw the cattle trailer that was on my way to school and I just I lost it. Oh, oh how how did the rest of your family handle that? Oh, turns out we never really got out of farming. So yeah. the three brothers that wanted out, or two of them wanted out, they ended up started working for another dairy. Mm-hmm. The one that wanted to stay found another dairy to work for. So we never really managed to quit. We thought we could, <laughs> we couldn't. Isn't that the way, though, for people who have been in farming? Yeah, you can't get out of it. It's in it's your just, blood. Actually, when our farm quit the next day, I was already working for another dairy. I just couldn't stop. And so what were you doing then? Feed, feeding calves right feeding away? Feeding calves. Mm. So talk about that. How does that job work? How do you, if, if somebody wants to get a job feeding calves, what, what's involved? Biggest thing is that you really have to actually care. You can't train a person to care about the calves. Mm-hmm. That's just, you have to really actually just be that kind of person that you can care about one calf out of 200. It's still an individual. You still have to worry about it. I go home at night. I worry about the calves all the time. They're just my babies. So it's, they become more like your kids. They're like your pets. Since you know so much about them, what kinds of things are you worrying about for them? Like health stuff, like medical kind of things for them? That's mostly if I have a sick calf, I go home thinking about her. I pray for them. Yeah. It's their, my life. So how many calves do you, are you responsible for right now? About 200. So under the ages of six months. I worked for one farm for a while that I was in charge of everything under a month old. And that was 350 calves. So I've had quite a different variety of jobs, but it's all been just raising calves. What is the line when a calf stops being a calf? Like how old do they have to be? It depends who you ask. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say probably about six months old and then they are called a heifer instead. Mm -hmm. Until they... Until they have their first calf and then they're called a cow. So that's a lot of calves to keep track of. How is does that take a lot of record keeping? Is a is that a lot of that in your head then? Most of it's in my head. Mm. A lot of my favorite calves over the years, I can still tell you exactly which stall she lived in. I could tell you who her mom was. It's just all this stuff that for some reason is still stuck in my head. I I can't get it out. So when when a calf is born, what do you do? Are you involved with it right from when she's born? I am in charge of also watching the maternity pen, which is where they're going to have their calves. Mm-hmm. So I'm involved for probably a couple hours before they're even born, just making sure the cow is okay and checking to make sure the calf is coming in the right position, deciding if we need to call a vet. So I'm, I'm there when the calf is born and make sure it's going to be okay. What are the first things that you do? Make sure it's breathing. Mm-hmm. So I've given a calf CPR. Not very fun. <laughs> 
Wow, like mouth to mouth? Mouth to nose, I guess. Oh, wow. Yes. That's putting it on the line right there. Yeah, but I don't, you see, need I to don't do it to save their life. Yeah. Is that gross, though? Yeah, it is. But you care a lot that of the time, much that you do that. Yeah, a lot of the times, the calves that come out not breathing, they were stressed before they were born. So the calves that are stressed before they're born, they poop inside the cow, and they come out literally covered in poop. So you're giving mouth to mouth to this thing that <laughs> looks absolutely disgusting. Oh, that's brutal. Um, yeah, I've been around for quite a few calves being born, but I haven't had to do any of that. Well, you're lucky. Yeah, it, it's not fun. You need to do it, but it's not. Yeah, no, I'd much I'll, rather I'll, not have to do it. I'll I'll pass uh, on that. I'll I'll leave it to the experts like yourself. So you make sure they're breathing, and then what else do you have to do? One of the first things is you have to disinfect their umbilical cords so they don't get an infection. Then typically the cow keeps the calf with her for an hour or so if she actually wants anything to do with it. Mm. I've had a lot of them, the cows, try to actually kill their calves. Really? They don't have the maternal instinct that beef cows do. Why is that? They're not bred for it. Mm. We want to breed them for better feet or to produce more milk. Mm. Where beef cows, the farmers want to make sure they're actually able to take care of their own calves. Right. So they breed for the motherly instinct, which dairy cows don't need, so we don't breed for it. Now with certain activist groups, shall we say, this can be a controversial point. Right? Oh, yeah. And that's a common refrain. Well, why do you take the calves away from their mother so quickly? It's inhumane. It's cruel. But you're saying quite the opposite. You're trying to protect the calf by doing you're that? You're trying to protect the calf. It's hmm. You got an 80-pound calf, 1,500-pound mm-hmm. cow. She can easily hurt the calf without even meaning to. I've had calves that their legs were broken because the cow stepped on them. Hmm. I've taken dead calves out of the pen because the mom accidentally laid on top of them. It's, That's got to be hard. It's hard. That's actually how my dad taught me that we need to do this, is he made me take one of the de- dead calves out of the pen that the cow had killed. Because I didn't really get it until I was the one that had to deal with the consequence. So that really drove the point home, that this is a big deal to protect yes, the calf. it's a huge deal. So not just a, a talking point to refute the activists. This is the real thing. Yeah, and I mean, yes, we take the calves away from the cows, but... You also have to realize dogs and cats, we take away their puppies and kittens. Mm-hmm. No one says a thing about that. I mean, they're a little bit older, so actually the dogs are attached to the puppies. But do people don't you know, say anything about that because that's considered normal. Why do you think it is? Because you, I mean, in your involvement on social media and being so outspoken um, about particularly dairy cows and calves that you care for, why do you think it is that that is such a, th- a thing for people, that, that some people get so upset about that issue, about the, the calf being separated from the cow? People like to put the human emotions on to animals, and cows aren't people. They just aren't. They don't have the emotional capacity we do. They really live in the here and now. They don't worry about tomorrow. Cows, when we take away the calf, you go check on her five minutes later, she's eating. She's chewing her cud. She doesn't care. The calf mm-hmm. is gone. She doesn't even notice. Is that hard maybe to see? Because in some ways you you know these animals so well. And like I think we all experience with pets and stuff, there is a certain emotional attachment. But then to realize objectively that's not necessarily shared or returned from the animal because they just aren't built that way. No, they're not. It's like you can leave your dog in your house for hours on end and doesn't care. No, it's just excited because you got home. Because <laughs> that's what it's yeah. living for. It's living in the moment. Yeah. 
So after that, the, the calf is on its own. What do you have to do? I have to make sure it gets enough colostrum, which is the first milk that a cow produces. So if the, we let the calf nurse from the cow, you have no idea if the colostrum was good enough, if it mm. got enough. And the colostrum is the calf's entire immune system for the six for six weeks comes from that colostrum. So if they don't get it, they can easily die because they don't have the immune system to fight off any diseases. And that, And that's... I know from having children in the last, well, not me personally, <laughs> my wife having children going through that process, the same thing with humans. That's why some of these things are so important for survival and health and all that kind of stuff. Um, and you did say, um, you just mentioned that the calf does get to nurse off of the cow immediately after if being they born. For would choose to, but a lot of the cows, they don't even let the calf nurse they'll ignore it or they'll kind of kick it swat them away yes wow it's painful the calves are born with teeth so imagine that that your baby's trying to nurse and you're sore and all these hormones are going crazy and then the calf pretty much bites you so (laughs) it's not really that fun for the cow so where do you get the colostrum from then that they need so badly we well the cows go through the milking parlor about anywhere from a couple hours to 12 hours after they have the calf Mm -hmm. And then we save all of that colostrum. So typically if there's a new calf being born, it'll actually go heat something up that we had saved in the fridge. So it's coming from a different cow than the calf's mom. Mm. But colostrum's colostrum. Yeah. I think humans have figured that out too. People sell and trade breast milk. And I know that grosses some people out, but it's the real thing. It's It doesn't necessarily matter who it's from. It's the, the health. Yeah, and then people take cow colostrum as a supplement all the time. Really? Yes. A lot of the colostrum that we have extra is sold. Really? And it's actually processed for human medicine. Really? I did yes. not know that. They ship it out to Saskatchewan and people pay a lot of money to actually take that as a supplement. How do they take it? It's a powder. As a powder? Yes. Really? Do they like mix it into things like a protein powder? I have no idea. I just thought, I only learned about that like a month ago that I assumed our yeah. colostrum that was getting sold was going to powdered colostrum for calves. And right. It's actually not. Most of it's used for people. Do you know what the health benefits are that they think uh, they're it's apparently getting from it? It's supposed to help your immune system. Which makes sense it based does. on what you're it's saying. It does. It's antibodies. Yeah. So after the colostrum phase, what then what do you do with the calves? They're um, in their own pens? They're in their own pens. So about six months out of the year, when it's cold enough, one of the first things I do is put a blanket on the calf to help keep them warm. And then they just kind of hang out? For a few months and you keep them well fed and they can grow? Yeah, they live in an individual dome for the first six weeks. And then we have a barn that they move into that has stalls that are meant for two calves to live together. So they can kind of bond with another calf, figure out this whole what we are thing, how to act around each other. And then they'll move into a bigger group. But typically, I've found that those calves that were buddies just in a stall together, they hang out together for years. Really? Yes. So there is like a, a bond. There's a bond, created. this weird bond between them. They'll actually typically calve around the same time of each other as each other. They're just really? so in sync with each other. that. Interesting because you just got done talking about how cows don't really have the same, cows don't have the same emotional capacity that we do, yet they do still have they some They still have like buddies. Why is that? I don't know if it's, well, they have a hierarchy in the herd. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have the dominant one. You're going to have the one that's picked on, but- for some reason, a lot of times the calf will bond with just one specific other calf. I'll find them always sleeping next to each other. They eat with each other. They feel comfortable just you know, just around that one. So they hang out together because they know it's safe. 
You talk about a hierarchy and the whole herd of cows. Can you tell who's going to be who in their calves? Like, are they already showing their, like if, if a calf is going to be more dominant calf or something like that, or, or does that develop later? You see it some in how they act around people. So some of them, they're so sweet and they love me and others could care less that I exist. But it's more later when they end up in a group that they have to figure out who they're supposed to be within that group. What do you think is the most unexpected thing, maybe for people who aren't familiar with it, about raising calves? A lot of people don't even realize that we actually feed these calves milk. Mm. They think we take all the milk from the cows and use it for humans. So the farm I work for, we actually feed a formula, which is made out of all milk. Some farms feed milk straight from the cows. It's actually, the calves need milk. They mm-hmm. they need to have milk in order to grow. We don't just take all of it away. What are some of the things that have gotten the biggest response um, as far as details about your job when you've shared it in public, you know, on social media? Have you been surprised by things that you've shared that you maybe took for granted? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that, well, I grew up farming, so I, you know, I thought everyone knew this kind of thing. <laughs> Find out they have, people don't know, and a lot of that is they don't have someone to ask. So it's just simple things like this morning I posted about how calves are born with this soft cover over their hooves so they don't hurt the cow when they're born. That's something that, I mean, I've known forever, but... People are finding even just that so interesting that calves are created that way. So how do you decide what to post on on social media? Whatever I'm dealing with at the time and stuff that I think people are going to find interesting. Sometimes they think, oh, people are going to love this and no one even cares. (laughs) Other times it's like, well, this is incredibly boring. I don't know even why I'm saying this and people love it. So you have no idea how people are going to respond. Can you recall like what what's been your biggest post ever? Like what what was it? What was the one thing that people were just crazy about? She feeding calves gogurt. So I took a video of this calf eating gogurt straight out of the tube, and it went viral. You have showcased on your social media quite a few like human things that you feed to cat, like the gogurt. Yes. Recently, I saw you something you were giving a calf a beer. Yes. Things that people wouldn't expect. And even within the farming community, not everybody knows about. Where do you come up with these things? A lot of it was, well, the beer was, I had this calf that she was not doing good. I had done everything I could possibly do to save her, but she was losing weight. And we were ready to actually put her down. Mm. But then I started messaging all these vets on Instagram, bugging them, asking, so what can I do? And everyone's telling me, well, you need to put her down because she's suffering. Mm. Except for this one vet in Ireland who told me that this sounds crazy, but you need to go to the gas station. You need to go buy that calf of beer. You need to give it to her. I thought, well, I mean, she's going to die anyway, so (laughs) why not try it? Yeah. Next day, this calf is, she actually wants to drink her milk. She's eating grain. So what was it about the beer? Why why did that work? It's all the fermenting yeast inside the beer. Hmm. So their rumen is basically, it has all these bugs, the good bacteria and stuff in it. The beer replaces all of that and makes their whole gut work again. Now you say the rumen and cows have... Four compartments in their stomach. And that's the last one? That's the... Or which one is it? I forget. That's the one they're supposed to digest all the like grain and hay and forage. Mm-hmm. And Basically all the stuff that we can't digest. A lot of animals, can't, even horses, right? Can't digest the same things that a cow can, right? Yeah, and then the rumen in a mature cow, it's about the size of a 55-gallon drum. It's huge. So that all this huge. stuff just 
they just it ferments in their rumen and they digest it and so it's almost like giving this calf a little starter yeast yes to get that process going in her stomach yeah and that changed everything it changed everything do they act weird like they have are feeling the effects of the alcohol if you do they have to do this i don't give them enough that it really affects them yeah but they absolutely love it they become your best friends they think they get alcohol anytime they see you <laughs> What did people say on social media to you about that? A lot of people were just amazed. They had never thought of that, but basically beer is like room and fluid. Now let's get it changed your mind when you think of drinking that again. So does but, that mean that I should drink more beer because it's good for my stomach? I don't know. You're not a ruminant. <laughs> so on, on social media, when you hear from people, what's your philosophy of how to manage? If Everybody these days has a social media account. Some people think about how they're managing it and people who do it, for their job, like myself, think about it, obviously. People like you that are trying to do advocacy, yes, think about it. How do you approach dealing with people, people who are surprised, people who are angry? You know, there's so many responses. What do you, how do you manage? I try to judge whether these people actually want to learn or not. Mm. So if I get a negative response, I try to choose, well, are they, do they just not know? Or are they going to be someone that doesn't even want to learn? I don't put up with much. I will easily block a person <laughs> from seeing my account because I have a lot more to deal with than mm-hmm. people calling me names. And I just don't need that kind of negativity in my life when all I'm doing is trying to teach people about what I do. Obviously, I'm not asking you to repeat, you know, absolutely inappropriate things. But like what have been some of the worst things that people have done? I, I know f- Facebook and, and social media is, c- can just showcase the worst of humanity. How does that manifest itself around what you do on social media? I've had a lot of people threaten to kill me. Really? Yes. Death threats? Death threats. They don't want me on there. They, I figure that they're scared of the fact that I'm telling the truth and I'm threatening their agenda. So wait a sec. How does that go down? Like you make a post, somebody comments right away with a death threat, or is there some back and forth that leads to that? How would someone get to that point? I found... That if I go on like a vegan group, I've actually found my name on there saying that, oh, we need to go attack Farmer Girl for a while. Then they move on to another person. Then another person. They dis- This is on like their behind the scenes message boards? Yes. How do you get, the, you can find those on Google or how did how do you I get I looked up there? my name once and I found myself <laughs> on there and thought, well, this is awkward. <laughs> no wonder I was getting attacked like crazy for a couple of days because they actually organized it. And so it's those people who will then go on and send you a death threat? Like, are they doing that publicly? Is that a private message? What do they say it's, when they do this? It's sometimes public, sometimes a private message. Just And they will say, I want you dead? Basically. That's nuts. That's, that's social media. Scary. Yeah. So do you worry for your safety? It's part of why I don't post my last name that often. I mean, you can easily figure it out if you start reading what I post. It's not that hidden. But I mean, that's why my name is Erica on there. It's not my full name. And a lot of these people are actually from, I found out that Australians are very, very grumpy for some reason. They <laughs> they are the group that hates me. So when I found that out, I actually blocked the entire country. I wasn't dealing with it anymore. So nobody from Australia can interact with you on social media. Right. In England, they don't like me either. I would expect that to be in the US, honestly. Yeah, I would too. But who who knows what the dynamics are behind that. 
But I guess one of the reasons why I ask about your safety is like, do you think they're, they really mean it? I would assume, I would hope that they're just blowing smoke when they say that. But when someone says that, you. It's a whole lot easier to say that on a screen than actually say it to someone's face. I really don't think they're going to do anything. Even when I go out in public wearing like this shirt that says, hello, I'm a dairy farmer. Mm -hmm. Everyone's plight. I've never had anyone threaten me in public because they don't dare. Is that what it is about social media? Is that why people get so nasty? Because they they don't don't have to see you, you know, say it to your face? Yeah, they don't have to see me, which actually part of what helps on social media is to show pictures of myself because people don't realize I'm actually a person. They don't get that. There's a person behind the screen name. And you mentioned going out into the community wearing your Hello, I'm a Dairy Farmer shirt. What's that like? Because that is the different name. And that's like face to face. That's the real deal. And you say people tend to be very nice. Those could be some of the same people who are nasty on social media. Yeah, they could be. I have no idea. But they don't, they see me as a person then, so they don't dare attack me. I saw you post about your shirt that you wear. um, And, and, your note about that you do that deliberately talk about that way you go into you know into bellingham yes local urban community for our small area here why do you do that make people put a face to who a farmer is mm-hmm. i actually have a lot of people that come up to me and say well you're a girl you can't be a farmer in the city they like, say in that? the city i i really don't know how to respond to that it's like you can't be a farmer because you're a girl like girls can be anything they want to be kind of been that way for a long time now but you're saying that girls can't grow up to be farmers so (laughs) the stereotype would it it would be that out in the country out on the farm that's where the you know discrimination would be happening thinking that women cannot be farmers but you're saying it's the opposite it's when you go into the city that people will have uh, that's crazy well people have this picture in their head of this you know 60 year old guy that's a farmer that's Mm -hmm. what farmers are just supposed to look like they're not supposed to be some tall blonde girl. I don't fit what their image is in their head. How much does that drive what you do on social media? Part of you being kind of outside what people would expect. I think a lot of people actually like to see what I post because they don't, well, they find my page, see that, oh, she's a farmer. And they realize that I can be a farmer. They actually see me as being knowledgeable, despite the fact that I'm a girl, I'm not supposed to be doing this. It's part of why they find it interesting. (laughs) Also notice you uh, mentioned that you like to hike and, and you like to hike with your dad and do photography. I think we touched on that before. Talk about other stuff that you do like that. I go hiking about once a week. I've actually compete, competed in this race called the Kill Bill Challenge, which is 25 kilometers, 3,500 feet of elevation gain. You see how fast you can do it. <laughs> and I think stuff like that is fun. And it also really helps me mentally because I get away from everything for a while. You said before we started here, you said you're an introvert. Yes. So explain that. What does that, what does being an introvert mean to you? I, like if I'm in a group of people, everyone's talking, I'm going to be the one taking it all in. I don't like to voice my opinion until I really know what I'm going to say. I like to think about things a lot first. For that matter, I don't even really like to be in a group of people. I'd rather be all by myself. <laughs> like I go to Thanksgiving dinner and I'm just relieved when I walk out the door because it's quiet. <laughs> So how do you make that work, being an introvert, yet in some ways you have become a public figure with your social media advocacy? Yeah, but it's on my phone. I can, like, I'll go hiking and I don't have cell reception. So I get to go be myself for a while because I can't go check my social media and make sure people aren't wanting to kill me. (laughs) This makes me forget about it. 
And normally people would think you were kidding by saying people want to kill me, but since we just talked about it's that, you have true. proven that is a real thing. How often are you getting messages to your page, comments on your page? How how much could you be checking that if if you were doing that all the time? If I have a post that goes viral, I'd be checking it probably every 15 minutes, even sometimes waking up in the middle of the night, making sure I don't need to go block a whole bunch of people. Because <laughs> once one person starts, it just gets out of control. So how much of your time does that take then? That's got to be a lot of work. Probably 20 or 30 hours every week. Takes a lot of time writing what I post because I like all the little details and I post all the little details, but then I also want to research it to make sure I'm right. I don't want to be posting something that's false because my page is about the truth in dairy farming. So I want to make sure I'm really posting the truth. What are the biggest things that people misunderstand or, or don't know the truth about dairy farming in particular that you see out there? I've had a lot of people that they thought we milked the cows 24-7, that these cows were always hooked up getting milked. So when I posted that in reality, these cows are milked for five minutes twice a day, and that's like, would be like over a year, 40 to 50 hours, the entire year getting milked, which farmers work way more than that. <laughs> so everything is, we do everything for the cows. You, sp you spend almost that time just on your social media yeah, in one week. Yeah, in one week that the cows do working for the entire year. <laughs> Are you accusing cows of being lazy? They're spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> spoiled. Um, so people misunderstand how, how much time cows are actually being milked. What, what else is it that people misunderstand about dairy farming or animal agriculture? I mean, I'm sure you've seen it all. One thing that tends to surprise people is how much technology is actually involved. They think we're out there milking the cows by hand, all 700 of them, <laughs> which in reality, that's, that's impossible. We can't do that and still be able to produce enough milk to meet the demand. What's your response then when people see all that technology and see how many cows there are and, and the size of the operation and then say, well, that's a factory farm or or that's industrial agriculture? Just to throw a few buzzwords at you, actually, what, what's your response to those? I did a post once explaining exactly how we take care of all the cows and how much we care for them and that everything we do is to make sure the cow does good. And then after that, I posted that, oh, by the way, so this dairy farm is a CAFO and that... CAFO being a, what is that? It has to have... animal feeding operation? Yes. And that kind of blew people's minds. Because that's like a bad word. It's among... a bad word. You're not supposed to use that word. But it made people, you know, think about it that, oh, wait. So we trust her and she's saying that CAFOs are okay. And it kind of changed their minds because they had no idea that CAFOs are, you know, they're normal. Why is it, do you think, that people think CAFOs are so bad. They seem to think that we mistreat the cows. The cows are apparently supposed to be kept in some really dark, gloomy barn all the time, which... Where, where are they getting that information from, though? The activists. Yeah. People like to believe lies. Activists know how to play on that. They know how to take this one horrible picture, making it look, you know, like we're mistreating these cows. Shouldn't people know better, though, or have other sources of info? Yeah, but the average person's three generations removed from a dairy or any sort of farming. So how would they even know? So I guess that's why farmers need to say something. Yeah, and I saw something recently that for a long time people didn't want to hear about farming. So farmers didn't say anything, but now people are taking the farmer's silence as meaning we're hiding something. So it just kind of went the wrong way. So now we need to be out there actually saying something again to the people that actually are open to learning about what we do. Because of 
the advocacy work that you do and and more and more people in the farming community are doing to speak out and just share real stories about here's what it's like on the farm and here's what we actually care about. Do you think that's starting to change? I've had a lot of people message me that they actually went from being a vegan, which is someone who won't touch meat or dairy, and they actually started accepting animal agriculture as being good because of what I was posting. Because They hadn't ever seen the perspective that well, I'm a farmer telling about farming. Mm-hmm. They'd never gotten the chance to even talk to a farmer. So they just believed what they were told. But then they realized that maybe, hey, the farmer might actually know what they're doing better than Google does. So maybe they should actually be asking the farmer instead of Google. So what is it that you say that, that helps them change their mind? Because I think a lot of people feel like they try to say that, but maybe then it turns into an argument and the person may not believe them anyway. What's the secret to you changing minds and saying, hey, what I'm doing is real and I actually care about it and we're doing this responsibly and we care about these animals and and being good farmers? Well, part of it is I love to write, so I know how to word everything in a way that people are actually going to want to read it. And another part is the pictures I share. I put a lot of time into getting those pictures to try so if someone only looks at the picture, it kind of shares the story that I'm trying to tell. And Pictures people, worth a thousand words. Yep. People are willing to look at that picture. And sometimes after that, they start reading what I actually said. When do they actually get to the point where they tell you that they've changed some viewpoint that they had based on what you said? I mean, it usually takes a lot to get a person to that point. I don't know how long it takes for them to really realize. I mean, I don't pay much attention to when one person started following me versus when I hear from them. I have, there's 19,000 people that follow me on Instagram, about 10,000 on Facebook. I don't know them. So I, it's just these random messages. Oh, hey, you taught me so much about farming. I had no clue. And I support you and what you're doing. And I actually went and bought a gallon of milk for the first time in 20 years. So it's kind of incredible that I can actually make a difference. What does it feel like to have that many people following you? It's terrifying. (laughs) It's terrifying, like in the introvert sense. Yes. a little scary sometimes i go out you know to the safe way and someone comes up to me and says oh hey farmer girl i'm like do i know you <laughs> a lot of times they won't introduce themselves <laughs> they just start talking to me like well they know me so they're talking to me like a friend but i'm like i have no clue who you are i can't tell you that because <laughs> it's awkward you don't want to be rude and- i don't want to be rude and say oh so who in the world are you anyway so you're becoming famous yes weird for people to i go out somewhere and people recognize me it's not something i really ever expected yeah i was gonna say when when you started this advocacy thing i mean you wanted to speak out you wanted people to hear but did you have ever have any idea that it would i had no clue it'd be like this that people would actually want to hear my story i follow people who have done similar things to what you're doing and at some point some of them express a lot of burnout what's your take on that have you felt some of that have there been times when you've been like yeah maybe i'm, I'm done doing this i felt like that but then you get that one message that people it changes my mind when they respond in a positive way and part of it is the reason i go hiking is it does help me mentally and emotionally besides you know obviously physically it's just this good way to help myself get away from everything for a while. Being out there in the woods, it kind of puts everything in perspective that, you know what? Yes, I'm on social media. I'm getting all attacked all the time. But does that really matter in the grand scheme of things? It doesn't. How many hours a week are you feeding calves and and whatnot? Is that, I'm assuming that's at least a full-time job. That's 40 or 50 hours every week. Okay. So, but you, so you do get some time to yourself then? 
to do things like hiking and whatnot. It's I, not... They actually give me one day off a week, which is not normal for dairy farming. It's <laughs> <laughs> really a nice bonus. So then I also, since I'm feeding calves, I need fed twice a day. So I feed them at 6 a.m. I'm done typically by 9 in the morning. Then I go back and I feed them at 3.30 until I'm done at night, which can be 7 o'clock. But I have this weird time in the middle of the day that I don't have to do anything. Sometimes I just go take a nap. <laughs> Other times I'll go hiking. And obviously I have to spend a lot of the time writing what I'm going to post on social media. So do you think you'll always feed calves? Probably. I just love it too much to ever quit. <laughs> Well, and isn't that what everybody says they're trying to find, right? Is that that job that they just love? So yeah, much. and I found my dream job when I was 11. Who can really say that? How did you get so lucky to find your dream job that early? I don't know. It was just farming's in my blood. So I have this old picture of my great uncle feeding calves. I guess the whole calf feeding thing is just genetic. <laughs> For some reason, I got the bug. I had to do this. <laughs> My aunt actually feeds calves too. One of my uncles does. My dad used to. For some reason, something my family loves. So I'm catching you in the middle of the day. Today, you even have to go back. I have and to go back to work. I got up at five this morning, do every week, well, every day, all week. And I'm not really a morning person. <laughs> There's a lot of caffeine involved. You're a dairy farmer, but you're not a I'm morning I'm not a morning per person. How many dairy, okay, Truth be told, how many dairy farmers are actually like that? Because that is, that's the assumption that a dairy farmer must be a morning person. There's to do a lot of us that hate morning. <laughs> it's actually pretty normal. Well, thank you for coming in and opening up about yourself. I really appreciate you being willing to, even though it made you nervous, being willing to come and, and share your story with us here. Yeah, you're welcome. It's hard for me to talk, but I know I need to. <laughs> This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. Thanks again for joining me on this journey with the Real Food, Real People podcast. It still boggles my mind to think about someone as nice and as passionate and as caring as Erica getting death threats for simply just showing what she does on a day-to-day -day basis. We so appreciate your support of the Real Food, Real People podcast. We know that there are so many people in and around the farming community and the food community in this state, in Washington, that have incredible stories to share. If you know somebody with a story that, that would be great to share here on the podcast, please let me know. Dylan at realfoodrealpeople.org. My name is spelled D-I-L-L-O-N. Dylan at realfoodrealpeople.org. Just shoot me an email. Let me know um, a little bit about them. I would love to hear from you on that or any other feedback you have on the show. Again, Dylan at realfoodrealpeople.org. Thanks for being here, and we'll talk with you again next week. The Real Food, Real People podcast is sponsored in part by Save Family Farming, giving a voice to Washington's farm families.